Church, as we continue to worship, I'm going to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Psalm 19 this morning, Psalm 19, verses 7 through 14, specifically this morning, Psalm 19, verses 7 through 14. As you enter into our sanctuary each and every week, you have the opportunity for your eyes to be drawn to a variety of things around our sanctuary. If you're coming in from uh, the Oxmoor uh, Road into the sanctuary, looking this way toward the stage and also to the choir loft, I'm sure that your eyes are going to be drawn to a central symbol in the life of our church, which is the cross that adorns the baptistry that is behind me here. Etched above the cross and above the baptistry, you find our vision statement to be found faithful as God's people. To be found faithful as God's people. And if you are new to Dawson, sometimes vision statements are statements that uh, get ironed out in a weekend session and get put on uh, posters and weeks later, at best months later, people forget about. But here at Dawson, that is living language. If you are a part of this church, you know that to be found faithful as God's people, it infuses, it informs the prayers of the people of God that call Dawson home. It informs the planning of our church. This is true language, living language. It's language that has been passed down from the generations that have come before us. And every generation has to take the baton and ask a question, what does it mean to be found faithful as God's people? How do we define faithfulness? How, how do we measure faithfulness? How, how do we know when we're unfaithful or we've fallen short of God's standard that he has designed for us? In, in what way can we say that we know what it means to measure the faithfulness that God has called us to? The church leadership previously here at Dawson is in compelling ways and clear ways have defined that, but each new generation of a church must clearly ask the question, what does faithfulness look like? What has it looked like? What does it look like? And what do we pray it continues to look like? And what do we aspirationally desire to grow in faithfulness that God would lead us? So over the next five weeks, I want to expound upon our vision statement to be found faithful as God's people. I want to give you through about a year of staff and church leadership, prayers and thoughts, what we've deemed as our theological vision, drawing upon uh, the rich heritage of our church, but also trying to describe what we see around us, but, but simultaneously looking ahead saying, what would it look like for us in the future to grow in faithfulness here at Dawson? So these five core tenets are not intended to be things that, that you would say, oh, I don't, I don't know anything what we're talking about here. If you've been around Dawson, hopefully this is descriptive of the, the very air that we breathe. What you value, what you value as a Christian and what you have found in this church but we still continue to grow, we still continue to strive, we still continue to, to press forward as a church. And these five central tenets help us understand and unify around a compelling vision to be found faithful as God's people. What does that look like? Well, number one, God's word is our authority. Secondly, prayer is our priority. Three, worship is our response. Four, discipleship is our focus. And finally, missions is our passion. Each week, I will unpack 
one of these statements here to help you see from God's word how we clearly discern his leadership for us as a church and help you see around us, but also see ahead of how God is leading our church and how we can come alongside of one another as the Spirit of God is leading us forward to the, to the new chapters that are to be written for this church through his leadership and his guidance. Now listen, it is a theological vision, and that can sound bookish. That can sort of sound academic, adjective, theological, theological vision, sort of seminary sounding, is it not? But understand that theological, it just simply means theology is to think about God. And so the vision that we have as a church, its source is first and foremost God's direction. So so the vision that I offer to you today is not me going into my office and saying what I think the vision of our church should be, nor is it me polling all of the members of our church trying to find what everybody sort of collectively thinks, nor is it us as a church going around the community of the Birmingham metro area saying, what are the compelling visions that other churches have and being able to workshop those together, or is it nor is it us looking to the culture and saying, what are the needs, what are the aspirations, what are the wants of the culture? It is a theological vision because our God is not silent. So he's not left his bride alone to fend for themselves. He has given us resources. He's given us guidance He has given us more than just our experience, more than just our opinions. He is a God who is not silent. I don't know how many of you have seen this reality television show. It's probably in the ninth or tenth season. I've only seen a few of the episodes in the first season here. It's, it's It's entitled Alone. It's a history channel reality television show. They have 10 contestants. They drop in northern Vancouver Islands, at least in the first seasons, and they isolate each of these contestants. So it's not a survival kind or not a survivor kind of reality show where there's a little bit of community that is built there. But each of these contestants are completely isolated from the other contestants and any other human contact. They have 10 survival items that they're able to bring with them, and they have an emergency phone. If there's a medical emergency or if they get a little fed up with the bears that come alongside of them in the middle of the night, and I'm not making that up, they can tap out and go home. And some of them, they, they, they get dropped off in five hours into foraging in the forest. They say, I did not sign up for this, and off they go. Others stay for weeks. Others stay for months. The goal is half a million dollars if you are the last person alone on the island. Some of us, we go through life alone. Uh, we, We act as if God has dropped us on this earth. And do your best to survive. Do your best to claw ahead. And if you really need me, If you really are in a bind, then you can turn to me and say, help, and and I'll be there. I'm your emergency phone, but really you don't need me. You are enough as you go around. And that's not God's design for you to thrive, nor is it God's design for his church. He has not, church, left us alone. He has given us his clear guidance. And that's why when we think of our theological vision, we start first with a God who speaks. 
A God who is not silent. A God who desires for us to be in constant communication, listening to him as he desires to lead us. This is why when we think about what it means to be found faithful as God's people, we start with, number one, God's word is our authority. God's word is our authority. And what that means as a church is that we as a church are called to submit to God's word as our authority because it is true, it is timely, and it is transformative. As a church, we are called to submit to God's word as our authority because it's true, it's timely, and it is transformative. Notice with me that, that God's word is our authority because it's inspired by him. But don't take my words for that. Hear the very witness of Scripture that is so compellingly clear about where Scripture comes from. Psalm 19, verse 7 through verse 14. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, keeping them there is, do you see that? There's great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let, not, let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Let the words, verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God's word, church, is our authority because it is inspired by him. Verse 7, verse 8, verse 9. Do you see it there in your copy of God's word? I mean, underline this, circle this, italicize this. Put an exclamation point in the margin. Put a star there because here we find a, a foundational truth for us as a church, us as Christians here. It is the law of the Lord, verse 7. It is the testimony of the Lord, verse 7. It is the precepts of the Lord, verse 8. Do you see this? It is the commandments of the Lord, verse 8. Finally, verse 9, it's the rules of the Lord. Hebrew language, especially ancient Hebrew language, it doesn't have punctuation marks. So uh, possessive punctuation marks, they're not in the original Hebrew language here. So the way you construct possession is of the, of the, of the. Do you see five times in a row, this is making a crystal clear point for us that the law is of the Lord. The testimony is from the Lord. The precepts is the Lord's. The commandments are his. Once again and again and again, you should sort of see that, that, that the Hebrew poetry of the Psalms, the points are repeated. And here we have this clear point here that the law, the testimonies, the precepts, the commandments, and the rules, all five descriptions are what the psalmist would have found and what we find when we open up the first five books of the Bible. Most likely the psalmist is talking about the Torah, the first five books, and he's describing the, the different uh, constructions of, of genres that you will discover when you open up the first five books of the Bible here. But what we notice is, as a Christian with the entirety of the Bible, by extension what is true 
of the first five books of the Bible, Christian is true of all of the Bible. And so the same spirit that inspires the writing of the Torah is the same spirit that inspires the writing of the wisdom literature, the historical literature, the prophets, the gospels, the epistles. It's the same spirit that inspires the inspiration of all scripture and the writing of all scripture. Paul writing to his protege in the ministry, his name was Timothy. He's passing down the essentials of the faith. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, he says, all scripture, all scripture is breathed out. Olivia did such a beautiful job right here. She's all, all of them did. But Olivia started us off in Genesis 1, 1 through 2, reminding us that in the beginning there, there, was, there was nothing and God spoke. And when God spoke, there was. When God spoke, things changed. Things were created. And so the same voice that spoke all into existence is the same voice that is breathed into the scripture that we hold. It's breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Church, the, the Bible is not just a remarkable book. The Bible is not just an inspired book. The Bible we are saying is remarkable because it is inspired by him. And what's amazing about this is God is the ultimate author and he utilizes human authors the agency, the language, the places, the words of human authors to give us the Bible. Now, he could have, if he wanted to, he could have written it all in heaven, dropped it from the sky, sent an angel down into a, a, a forest and say to a person walking by, hey, listen, you need to dig this up. You need to translate it and get it around. That, that's not what he did. Over 1,500 years, approximately 40 different human authors and Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, those were not heavenly languages. They were the languages of the people in the place then. It's not a special Holy Spirit language. It's the words that they had. So God's not given them new words. He's given them the inspired word through their personality, through their words, through the inspiration. Now, there's a wonderful diversity of Scripture because you have a wonderful diversity of human authors and God being the ultimate eternal author. It's an amazing truth. When you look at the diversity of human authors, you're going to find prophets and priests. You're going to find Isaiah, who's a prophet, and Ezra, who's a priest. You're going to find Matthew, who's a tax collector. You're going to find John, who was a fisherman. Paul's a tent maker. You're going to find in Scripture Moses, who was a shepherd writing the Word of God. Luke's a physician. But behind these human authors... And real human words is the very eternal author inspiring it all. We have it in Scripture, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God inspires human authors. And so what we have before us from Genesis to Revelation is not just the height of human achievement. We're not saying that the Bible is just the, the greatest of the great books in the sort of Western canon. We're not saying that you have Homer's Odyssey, and the Bible is just one step above Homer's Odyssey. We're not saying you've got Shakespeare's plays, and the Bible is just one or two degrees above Shakespeare's plays. No, what we're saying is that Scripture is not the best of human intellect. It's not the best of human achievement that when we listen to Scripture, we hear the very voice of God. 
Now, does this mean that we worship the Bible? No. We don't worship the Bible. But the God we worship, we know through the Bible. Does this mean we bow down in adoration to the Bible? No. But we bow down to the God who is revealed to us through his word in the Bible. I love Charles Haddon Spurgeon. You go back over 120 years ago, you were found in London, Metropolitan Tabernacle, this Baptist preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon, the prince of uh, the pulpit. And so many of you still read his morning and evening devotionals, and he had this powerful way just to take God's word and to make it sing into the hearts of people. And so Spurgeon, talking about the Bible, says this, This volume is the writing of the living God. Everywhere I find God speaking, it is God's voice, not man's. The words are God's words, the words of the eternal, the invisible, the almighty, the Jehovah of this earth. The Bible is God's Bible. And when I see it, I seem to hear a voice springing up from it saying, I'm the book of God. Man, will that woman read me? So the Bible is our authority. Why? Because it's inspired by him. But the Bible also is our authority because the Bible is true. Go back to your copy of God's word. Look with me at verse 7. Look at me, uh, look at uh, with me in verse 8 and then also in verse 9. Do you see these adjectives that are synonyms, six of them that will just tumble out from the psalmist again and again and again and again to make one point? The word of the Lord is perfect, verse 7. The word of the Lord is sure, verse 7. The word of the Lord is right, verse 8. It's pure, verse 8. It is clean, verse 9. And it is true, verse 9. This repetition of synonyms is making one true point. You can trust the Bible. You, you can trust the Bible. We have a doctrinal foundation here at Dawson. Drawing upon uh, the best of Christian thoughts about the Bible for over uh, about a hundred years in the Baptist tradition that have thought with us. What does it mean to, to think about the Bible? What is the Bible? So when you go to our website and you see what do we believe, if you walk around and you pick up one of our doctrinal foundations, there's a central statement on the Bible, and we say this the Bible is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its ultimate author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error or for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. All scripture is totally true and trustworthy. Now understand that what we have in the Bible is 66 different books. What we have in the Bible is, is, is different genres, different human authors in different places. And so, yes, we have to interpret the Bible. A, a part of our responsibility in our life groups, a part of our responsibility when we're in Bible studies, a part of our responsibility when we gather together to worship is to open the Word of God and to, in be, to be interpreters. We don't come to the Bible like we're the first people to ever pick it up. We come with this great cloud of witnesses of 2,000 years of church history, of people that have helped us. Now, of course, we as a church, we unify around the essentials, and there's charity around the non-essentials. We as a church realize that Scripture is authoritative. Scripture is true. Scripture is perfect. Our interpretation of Scripture at times, because why? We, we are finite human beings. And we can get in trouble. I, I as your pastor, 
could get in trouble if I say, hey, this interpretation is true, it's perfect, it's trustworthy, and you as a congregate, you, if you disagree with this, you're disagreeing with the Word of God. Sometimes we elevate our interpretation and we start talking about our interpretation as if it is the perfect, true, sure, right, pure, clean Bible. Now the great thing, and you hear me say this all the time, the main things are the plain things and the plain things are the main things. But we would be disingenuous if we sat here and said that over 2,000 years of church history that there not have been times where people have read the Bible and they love the Bible. And they trust the Bible. But they come to different interpretations of different passages of Scripture And some, that means that they're different denominations. Sometimes it means within a church like Dawson, you would have people that both love the Bible and both believe it's true and perfect and sure, but they can read it and say, you know something, I think that that means this, and I think this means that. And so we as interpreters of Scripture must have humility. But even with that said, I want you to hear me clearly. I, as your pastor... I can misstate things, not intentionally. I, as a finite human being, at times can, I believe, I don't try to do this, but I recognize that at times you might be sitting there and say, I don't exactly understand what he means by that. And our church is big enough To be able to say that we can say the Bible is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true, and at times have different interpretations. The main things are the plain things. The plain things are the main things. The Bible is totally true. My interpretation of that is not. And there are times where we need to be reminded that every life group leader sits under the authority of Scripture, and every pastor has to sit under the authority of Scripture. And so it is our role to take what we hear and ring it back through Scripture. Amen? Amen. Now, with that said, hear me clearly. The Bible will not lead you astray. That when we have, when we have issues, it's not an issue with the Bible, it's an issue with our finitude. It's an issue with our sinfulness. It's an issue with us being the creature and not the creator. So the problem is not the Bible. The problem is we are not God. We don't have the ability to have all the information at times, and so we have to at times be humble. In a day and age where there's so much mistruth, There's so much deception. There's misinformation that floats around. I hope you understand that everything that you read on social media is not the gospel truth. And when we take it as if it is the truth, there's times when at best we are being naive. At worst, we are being grossly negligent. Every day, I get an email or a text message that proposes that that my Amazon account or my bank account has been shut down because there's been some illegal activity that has occurred. And the person on the other end of this email, the person on the other end of this text message is so very helpful that they want to help me with this if I would only put my account uh, uh, and, and my password into this link right here. And you get those too. 
<laughs> there are times where people will get an email from me, and it's from like Reverend Dr. David Eldridge, and it'll say to one of our staff members, hey, I'm sorry to bother you here, but I'm on a mission trip in Argentina, and I've gotten arrested, and I need you to forward you know, $5,000 to get me out. And I'm, I'm like, really, write down, and I always have to say to our staff, if you ever get an email from me that leads with, this is Reverend Dr. David Eldridge, you understand that is not me. I'm not going to address you that way there. So you get the point of this. We live in a day of disinformation. We live in an age where there's scams and people fishing for personal information. And there can be people that are slanderous. But in this day and age where we swim in this age of disinformation and even scams, the word of God will not lead us astray, will not deceive us, will not take advantage of us. We can trust what is in this book because we can trust its author. We know the source. The Bible is God's word. The Bible is true. It is inspired and God's word as our authority. It is timely and it is transformative. Again, go back to the text. Verses 7 through 9. Scripture revised the soul. Scripture makes wise the simple, verse 7. It enlightens the eyes, verse 8. It makes hearts rejoice, verse 8. It endures forever. This is just a reminder that God's word is just not information. It's not just random trivia. It's not just history. It's not just opinions of, 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 of people that lived thousands of years ago. No, that God's word, it speaks. And when it speaks, it creates. When we listen to it, we hear the voice of God. And as the voice of God spoke into the empty abyss, and there was, so the word of God speaks into the empty abyss of our hearts. And when we are downcast, it can bring us joy. And when we're confused, it can bring us guidance. When we're depressed, it can bring us hope. And we're, we are lost in our sin. The word of God can bring conviction and salvation. And we who once were blind now can see. We don't have to defend the Bible. We just let it loose. We don't tame it. We don't train it. We allow it to work as we worship the God who has spoken to us. This is what the anonymous writer of Hebrews was saying in Hebrews chapter 4, for the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The Bible changes us. When we are regularly exposed in worship, when we're regularly exposed personally, in the study of God's word, the reading of God's word, the meditation of God's word, but more than that, the heeding, applying, the living out of God's word. When we submit to it as our authority, guess what? It, it metabolizes in us and we become different people. We look different, just like your diet. I mean, what you put in your body over time is going to shape you and you're going to look differently because of what you eat. And spiritually, these are our spiritual macronutrients. Uh, uh, nutrients. They nourish us in every way as we feast on the Word of God. I love the way Eugene Peterson, a pastor and an author in his spiritual theology entitled, Eat This Book, he, he says it this way, Christians don't simply learn, they don't simply study or use Scripture, we assimilate it. We take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into the acts of love and cups of cold water 
and missions into all the world, healing and evangelism and justice in Jesus' name, hands raised in adoration of the Father, feet washed in the company with the Son. So when we expose ourselves to the Word of God, when we take it in, guess what? These are the nutrients that are life-giving to us. They shape us, they lead us, they guide us, they comfort us, they convict us, they challenge us. At times we're comfortable and we need to be challenged, and at times we're challenged in life and we need to be comforted. And the Word of God does all of this as we expose ourselves to it. We listen to it, we heed it, we open it up, we take and we read it, and we live it. Many of you maybe are familiar with Elizabeth Barrett Browning. She was a British poet in the 19th century. Maybe the name's not ringing a bell, but maybe this line, How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. That famous sonnet was written for Robert Browning, her husband. Elizabeth Browning had a harsh father who strictly, strictly said, You cannot marry this man. So she did. They eloped and they were married, and her father disowned his own daughter. For 15 years, Elizabeth Barrett Brown, living in Italy, would write letters back to her mother and to her father. For 15 years, she never heard back from either of them until she got a box back. And in the box, all of the letters that she had written, all of the letters that she poured her heart out seeking reconciliation, seeking to have a relationship with her mom and her dad, they were all sent back to her in a box and not one of them was opened. It's the ultimate act of rejection. She had poured out her heart to those that she loved so much And they never opened the letter. Don't think, Christian, that we can't be in that place. God has poured himself out to us in his word, pointing us to his son, desiring to guide us through his spirit, revealing to us what we need in and through the very word of God. And we can close our hearts to the word, but as we open and read and heed and live and evaluate and execute everything under the authority of God's word, we hear his voice singing to us, I love you. I'm not leaving you alone. I'm with you every step of the way.